In 2014, Pomona SWAT officer Sean Diamond was fatally shot by David Martinez during a raid on the Martinez family home. According to law enforcement, the act was murder. According to Martinez, it was self-defense. From Crime Story Media and E1 Entertainment, this is Night Raid. I'm your host, Molly Miller, and this week we're covering the surprising aftermath of the second trial and the high-stakes sentencing hearing in which Judge Olmedo determined how much time David Martinez would spend behind bars. And Mr. Martinez, as you have admitted, you pulled the trigger on the shotgun and you killed him. Officer Diamond's death has left a gaping hole in his department, his community, and most importantly, his family. I was worried about what was possible, that she might change her mind. Stick around for the eighth installment of Night Raid after this. Here are the undisputed facts in the People versus David Martinez. The SWAT raid on the Martinez home lasted less than 60 seconds. In those seconds, David Martinez shot his father in the arm and fatally shot Officer Sean Diamond in the neck. In 2019, a jury acquitted David of first-degree murder. And in 2022, a jury acquitted David of second-degree murder. But that's not the end of this story. The jury in 2022 deadlocked on the charges of voluntary manslaughter and assault with a firearm on a police officer, meaning that the DA's office could pursue a third trial on both charges. Today, we'll learn about the surprising resolution of the People versus David Martinez from a source who has been involved in the case from the very beginning. And we'll hear about the high-stakes sentencing hearing in which Judge Olmedo determined how much time David Martinez would spend behind bars. I'm Molly Miller, and this is Night Raid. After the second trial, we reached out to Ray Lugo, the lead detective on the case, Jack Garden, the lead prosecutor, and Brady Sullivan, David's defense attorney. Only one agreed to speak with us. My name is Brady Sullivan, and I am now a private attorney who was previously a public defender in the county of Los Angeles for 32 years. I asked Brady about his reaction to the partial verdict in the second trial. I was just disappointed because, to me, the evidence was so overwhelming that David's beliefs were reasonable. This is a righteous self-defense case. And I also knew that, you know, that meant the case wasn't over. You know, David's still facing serious charges. And the ADW charge on a police officer, because of the gun enhancement, was actually a life charge. David was facing a manslaughter charge, which carried a maximum term of 11 years in state prison, in addition to the assault with a firearm on a police officer charge, also known as assault with a deadly weapon, or ADW charge, which carried a maximum term of eight years. But in this instance, the DA's office also sought to employ a penalty enhancement, commonly known as the use a gun and you're done law. That enhancement allowed a judge to sentence a defendant to 25 years to life for killing or seriously injuring another person with a gun. All of this meant that after being acquitted of murder twice, David could still face life in prison if convicted in a third trial. Given the stakes, Brady hoped that the DA's office would offer a plea bargain 
an arrangement between the prosecutors and the defendant in which the defendant pleads guilty, or no contest to a lesser charge, in exchange for a more lenient sentence, or an agreement to drop other charges. So the jury came back with its partial verdict in October of 2022. We put the case over until the end of November without waiving any time. So arguably and legally, David was entitled to have a third trial within 60 days. And I deliberately did not waive time because I was trying to create a situation where, you know, it was going to be crunch time right before Christmas. I fully expected that the prosecution would come back with an offer. My offer to them had been essentially time served on a manslaughter. That had been the defense loose tentative offer to them. I thought they would jump on that based on what had happened in the two trials. But they did nothing. Sullivan said that the deputy district attorneys were unwilling to offer David Martinez a plea bargain, even after repeated meetings with Judge Almeida. So when we came back to court at the end of November, the judge calls us into chambers and asks the DA, is there an offer? No, we're still pondering it. So the judge is like, we'll come back in two days, assuming that they're going to do something, right? When we came back two days later, DAs, nope, we still don't have an offer. So the judge then said, well, I'm going to let Mr. Martinez plead open to the manslaughter for 10 years. I asked Brady to explain how pleading open was different from a plea bargain. A defendant is sometimes allowed to plead open, which means that Instead of the prosecution making a plea bargain offer and settling it that way, the court allows the defendant to plead open, which basically means pleading to everything that's charged. And then the judge can impose whatever sentence he or she thinks is appropriate. Judge Olmedo's offer of 10 years wasn't made in open court. It was an indicated sentence, not an official one, and therefore it could potentially change. Still, David agreed to plead no contest to all charges against him, and sentencing was scheduled for January of 2023. On January 17, 2023, the gallery of courtroom 105 was crowded with members of the Martinez family, the Diamond family, and several Pomona police officers. Janine Eiley, the jury foreperson from the first trial, and Melissa Armstrong, the jury foreperson from the second trial, sat on the left side of the courtroom beside David's siblings. David was at the counsel's table in an orange jumpsuit. At the sentencing hearing, detectives, friends, and family members of Officer Sean Diamond were granted the opportunity to give victim impact statements before Judge Olmedo, written or oral statements about how the loss of Sean Diamond affected their lives. Given that victim impact statements are presented prior to the judge's ruling, they provide one last opportunity for individuals to express how the crime has impacted them, and, if they choose, to attempt to sway the judge towards what they believe is a more just sentence. In this case, members of Sean Diamond's family, fellow police officers, as well as Deputy DA Jack Garden and Detective Ray Lugo, were determined to convince Judge Olmedo to set aside her indicated sentence of 10 years, and instead, impose something closer to the maximum sentence of 33 years to life in prison. Sullivan knew that despite what Judge Olmedo said at the previous hearing, David was in a precarious position. I was worried about what was possible, that she might change her mind. The first person to deliver a victim impact statement was Sean Diamond's daughter, Margot. 
the occupants of the gallery moved aside, opening a path for her to walk towards the bar. She planted her feet, steadied her shaking hands, and struggled to hold back her tears. The following is a dramatic reenactment of part of Margot Diamond's victim impact speech. All reenactments of the sentencing hearing in this installment are portrayed by actors. They have been edited for clarity and time. My name is Margot Diamond Nelson. I am Sean's daughter. On the morning of October 28, 2014, I was 28 years old. I was at home. I was at the home I shared with my father. At 5.30 a.m., I was up and getting ready for work. I saw that my dad wasn't home yet, which I expected. I knew he had been on a SWAT call and he wouldn't be home for a few more hours. I got through my morning routine and was just about to grab my keys when I heard the doorbell ring. Someone had come to collect me and to take me to the hospital where my father was. They said he had been shot in the face and that as far as they knew, he was alive. They didn't know the details. They just knew they had to get me to the hospital where I could be with him. When I first saw my father in the hospital, I was flooded with hope. They had done such a good job of cleaning him and bandaging his face. At first, it didn't look as bad as it was, but every minute that went by, especially after seeing what was under his bandages, it became clearer and clearer that things were never going to be okay again. His doctors told us that his brain was no longer functioning and he was being kept alive by the machines. I decided to remove him from life support in the early hours of the morning of the 29th so there would be time to arrange to harvest and donate his organs. He was so strong, it took him a really, really long time to die. The nurse told us to talk to him and tell him it was okay to go. And I just remember staring at his face and eyes. And I kept thinking, this is it. This is the end. But it wasn't. Not really. It was just the beginning of something almost as equally as awful, but for much different reasons. I don't remember at what point I asked where the person who shot my dad was. I don't remember who told me he had been taken into custody immediately. And I remember learning that he was a Mongol gang member, and I remember hearing that his name was David Martinez. I remember someone telling me, we got him, we have him, he's going to be on trial for what he did. And there was so much for my brain to compute that day. I remember needing to explain to myself that what had happened to my father was a crime. But it was a crime and my father was murdered. It has been important to me to be here for my father, to bear witness to what has happened in his trial. For years, I imagined that this would be worth it, that it would be meaningful, and that when it ended, it would feel like a conclusion. And I was so wrong. When they read the verdict in the first trial, it was the most disappointment I've ever experienced in a single sitting. Until then, it hadn't occurred to me that other people would hear this story and think David's not guilty of murder. But that was what has happened twice. I have tried so hard to put myself in stranger's shoes with an objective mindset, but the fundamental details of this story seem so obvious. David was high on meth that morning. He knew the police were at his door. He fired a shotgun, basically at his own father, and struck mine, killing him. That detail has always rolled around in my head. 
that he shot his father and my father, but my father's dead. It's just one of those things I can't, I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. For the sake of my own karma, I don't wish David harm, but I do hope that he is haunted by what he did. I hope that he feels guilty because he is. When David leaves jail, he'll return to his family and his club. He gets to celebrate the holidays with his children and the rest of his family. And he'll get to celebrate with a special patch for killing my dad. In all this time where he said he wanted to leave the club, has he left it? He's been a club member this whole time, so why should that change now? They'll make him a new vest and he'll get to attend parties where he'll be a legendary killer who served a little time, but has returned like a heroic soldier, will be clapped on the back. He murdered my father, and they'll give him a special patch, and he'll wear it with pride. Maybe someday I'll run into him at a Walmart parking lot or the fairgrounds, and he'll be wearing his vest and his special patch. Maybe he'll cruise past me on the freeway in a pack of his brothers who respect him with special deference for earning it. I had to watch my dad die, and now I'll watch this person celebrate their return to the world, albeit from a distance. Margot stared at David. She wiped her eyes and took a deep breath. Margot continued her emotional statement, shifting to how her father's death had changed her life. I can't think of a single aspect of my life that has not been impacted, either by losing my father or by being invested in the outcome of David's trial. I'm unrecognizable to myself. I feel alienated from my peers and other people. This experience has been so horrific and so awful. It's like, how could I ever really explain what this has been like? How do you explain that two different groups of jurors heard the same details as you and still decided that your father's murderer wasn't guilty? And how do you explain that your father's murderer has somehow acquired groupies who keep coming back? So much of this experience has been so thanklessly unpleasant. I wish I could say this is a meaningful time, but it's not. My complete disillusionment of our legal system and how much is it based on the feelings of a single individual or their desire to feel important just rocks me to my core. I've struggled over what to say today for a really long time because I don't want to tell you about my father. I don't think what I say matters. And I don't want to share more of him than I have had to. I don't want to talk about him in front of David or his family. But I will say, the two of us were a family. My father and I shared a household. We made dinner together. We had shows we watched together. We shopped for groceries, had favorite restaurants. We had routines. We had patterns. We shared a dog. He was a person with interests and hobbies and dreams. He was so much more than just a police officer. Being my father's daughter used to mean something good to me. It used to mean confidence, long talks about how the world works, inside jokes, praise for being clever and resourceful, for being a problem solver, for thinking fast and having good instincts, for being a good person, for helping others, for being a leader. Being my father's daughter was a point of pride and part of my identity. And it was about being recognized and seen by him. But it hasn't meant those things to me for a really long time. 
now when I think about being my father's daughter, I think about blood and I think about teeth splinters. I think about this courtroom and I think about his body on a coroner's table. I have spent so much time thinking about just answerless questions, repetitive and intrusive thoughts. I've spent so much time imagining the outcome of this trial and I just never really thought that this could be it. Of the questions I've asked of myself continuously for years, I no longer turn the question around if I have to forgive David, if I need to forgive David. Forgiveness is more for the person who gives it than for the person who receives it. And I've thought about it for years. My answer is no, I don't need to forgive David and I never will. He'll always be the person who murdered my father and that will never change. That's all I have to say. Margot returned to her seat in the back of the gallery. Sean Diamond's sister, Melody, addressed the court next, followed by Sean's brother, Christopher, his ex-wife, Tristine, and Ryan Rodriguez, a captain with the Pomona Police Department. Their words echoed Margot's, the devastation, the loss, and the disappointment in the judicial system. Above all, they shared a steadfast belief that Sean Diamond's death was not a tragic accident. It was not manslaughter. It was murder. During the speeches, David Martinez sat still with his hands clasped on the council's table. He listened in silence until DDA Jack Garden announced that the victim impact statements were completed. Then the court invited David to speak. Mr. Martinez, did you wish to address the court? Yes. I didn't want to sit up here and defend anything that happened. The two trials speak for themselves. The only thing I will say is that I am deeply sorry for my involvement and my role that was played in the tragic accident that took Sean Diamond's life. I don't take it lightly. I have not taken it lightly. And that stays with me. The truth of the matter is that it was a tragic accident. As family, I understand their pain and anger towards me. I understand it, and I accept it. But my actions were not a malice. My actions weren't because I wanted to shoot a police officer. My actions were because I thought there was a threat to my family, and that's the truth. That has always been the truth, and that won't change. That's it, Your Honor. With the victim impact speeches delivered and David's statement on the record, it was time for the prosecution and the defense to address Judge Olmedo one last time before sentencing. But before the court could proceed... Your Honor, I'd like to say something. Detective Ray Lugo stood up and locked eyes with Judge Olmedo. The seasoned detective was the lead investigating officer on the case and a constant presence in the courtroom throughout both the trials. Lugo was one of the detectives who interviewed Martinez shortly after his arrest. You might recall this audio from our second episode. We're just trying to be truthful, bro, but nobody, nobody is more in trouble, they're more in trouble than fucking you, bro. You're in fucking trouble. trouble. And this is your chance. You think your attorney could do it and save you? He can't fucking save you. Lugo was an officer known for his persistence. Even at the 11th hour, he was determined to keep fighting for what he perceived to be justice. Lugo's request to speak after David Martinez was a disruption of the hearing structure. 
But in spite of the breach of protocol, Judge Olmedo allowed Lugo to address the court. My name is Ray Lugo, homicide detective for the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. I'm embarrassed to say it. I've been around for over 41 years, 27 at homicide. All my friends are gone. I stayed around for this case, and it was well worth it because I believe in miracles. And I know, Your Honor, that you've decided, but I believe in miracles. I believe you're going to change your mind. It seemed that Lugo was referencing Judge Olmedo's indication that she would give David Martinez a sentence of 10 years. The detective appeared intent on convincing the judge to extend David's time behind bars. I believe you're going to be just in the time you gave David because David did commit the murder. And I know he sat up there and he pretends to be a good guy, but David's a fake. And David comes from a wonderful family. He has two great parents. He has a wonderful wife who puts up with this crap. And you have a lot of apologies to make, Dave. Please address the court. Your Honor, he has a lot of apologies to make. He doesn't want to leave the Mongols. He's going right back because now he's somebody and he always wanted to be somebody. Once again, Detective Lugo directed his attention at David. Don't stand up here and pretend, Dave, that it was an accident because you were on meth, Dave, and you had problems. Please, address the court. Your Honor, Dave had a problem, and he needed to address it, and his wife wanted him to address it, but he killed Sean Diamond, and there is no doubt about it. So please, Your Honor, please don't let him go home soon. What would that be to all the great law enforcement officers in Southern California? who are getting killed and shot and beaten all the time, more now than ever. But for the people in this courtroom, I wanted everyone to know that all these officers and all these deputies would die for you at a moment's notice. And so when you think about hating police, and that was the reason why the jury voted this way, or if you had authoritarian motives because you're the foreperson and you fell in love with the defendant, or you had authoritarian motives because you're thinking about writing a movie script about David, and you had Arturian motives all along, that's wrong. Detective Lugo later clarified to reporters that he was referring to Janine Eiley, the jury foreperson of the first trial, and Melissa Armstrong, the jury foreperson of the second trial. Lugo believed that Janine fell in love with David and seemed to think that Melissa had ulterior motives because she wanted to write a screenplay about the case. We believe in the jury system. I believe we have some of the greatest judges and district attorneys in the world. I know, Judge, you're a great lady and you're going to do the right thing. You're not going to let him go home. You're going to send him to prison and that's what we want. It was an easy case. David was having trouble with Matt. He had anger issues. The house is a very nice, clean house, but you could fit that house in this courtroom. And you're going to tell me that Dave's not going to know who was at the door? All I had to do was open it. That's all he had to do. He didn't have to shoot Sean. Your Honor, again, I beg you for the sake of the Pomona Police Department and the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, please, you need to send him to prison and you need to do the right thing. We beg you. Thank you. Detective Lugo took his seat and Judge Olmedo addressed the prosecutors. Mr. Garden, Ms. Williams, did you wish to be heard? Before the deputy district attorneys could respond, another officer stood up and walked to the front of the gallery. Judge Olmedo turned her attention his way. Do you want to say something? May I? All right. Your Honor, I have nothing scripted. I'm sorry you are. Chris Lewis with the Pomona Police Department. The man was Corporal Chris Lewis. 
Sean Diamond's patrol partner and one of his best friends. But he wasn't in court to speak about Diamond. He was there to appeal to the judge. I didn't really want to say anything. I I didn't prepare anything. But enough people have said I should. So I don't want to talk about Sean. But what I do want to talk about is directly to you. And people talk about the faith police officers have in the justice system. I want to break that down to its core, brass level. When we say we have faith in the justice system, what it means is that my brothers and sisters down here will leave their homes at three in the morning, will step out of a comfortable warm police car and put down a cup of coffee and walk into an alley to confront somebody we don't know anything about. Maybe two, three, four of them. When my son wakes up in the morning and I've left because of a SWAT call out, his whole day of school has a ripple effect of worry because I can't communicate with him. Did my dad make it home safe? When someone like you in a position of tremendous trust in the state of California, arguably one of the most trusted positions we have, can take a piece of paper and put pen on it. With that ink and paper can tell any one of my colleagues to risk everything they have. Soul, flesh, blood, income, happiness of their family. To enforce the will of a court and a judge. I don't know what is more faithful than that. That's biblical faith. When Sean walked to that door one day, not knowing it would be his last, that was to enforce the will of a judge, a court, a warrant. These things can't be taken lightly. I would compel you, as you consider yourself today and the decision you are about to make, understand that nobody on this side will have an emotional reaction. Lewis's gaze fell on David Martinez. We will conduct ourselves as professionals. The same as we did the day even after Martinez killed our brother and friend. And we poured in the door. Nobody heard him. Absolute professionalism to the highest level took him into custody and presented him before the court because we believed the court would do the right thing. And we still do. As you make that decision today, understand that tomorrow or today or next week, A bunch of us are going to get back in that police car again and go back out on the street and base our life decisions on the will of a court. We hope that you please understand the severity of that and show us that the system isn't broken, that it hears us, it feels that sacrifice, and considers that in the decision-making. Thank you. Lewis's words hung in the air. Judge Charlene Olmedo is a former prosecutor, a jurist who worked regularly with police. And she was married to an officer, a deputy for the LASD. Now she had to determine the sentence for a man who fatally shot a cop during a SWAT raid. When Corporal Lewis took his seat beside a handful of other Pomona police officers, no one stood to follow him. Judge Olmedo allowed the prosecution to make its final statement before the court. Jack Garden rose from his chair. I will address the court. The people believe this defendant deserves the maximum term on count two, the assault with a firearm on a peace officer, as well as the firearms allegation under 12022.53D. This case was all about the defendant's lies. He came into this court and told lie after lie under oath in front of Your Honor and two different juries. Fortunate for him and unfortunate for justice, he was able to fool numerous jurors. Nonetheless, 
he now stands convicted through his own admissions of the crime of manslaughter and the crime of shooting a firearm at a peace officer who was engaged in the performance of his duties. This defendant armed himself with a shotgun loaded with slug rounds, the most damaging type of round you could have in a shotgun, while high on meth. No care or regard for who was on that porch. He aimed and fired that 12-gauge shotgun at Officer Sean Diamond. Officer Diamond that morning was walking away from the front door. His back was to the defendant. He didn't even have a gun in his hand. For the behavior of this defendant, we feel the maximum term of 33 years to life is appropriate. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Sullivan? Brady Sullivan stood up. The People versus David Martinez was coming to a close, and David's fate rested in the hands of Judge Olmedo. Sullivan would later tell us that his mission as he spoke was to convince the judge to honor her indicated sentence of 10 years, even after all the statements by Sean Diamond's family and members of law enforcement. Well, Your Honor, this is a sentencing pursuant to an open plea in which the court has already conveyed to Martinez and his counsel and opposing counsel what the court intends to sentence him to. And I assume the court's going to follow that. I also think it's a just outcome in this case. This is a very complicated case, factually, obviously. Two long trials in front of jurors, two long periods of deliberations. It wasn't obviously a simple cut and dry type of case. And I believe based on all the evidence, including those, especially because of those recorded statements that David did not know it was the police. I have absolutely no doubt about that. I've also gotten to know David Martinez pretty well during the last eight years, and I firmly believe that David would never deliberately shoot a police officer. No way, no how. That's not the kind of person he is. That's completely beyond anything that he is capable of. I do believe that David was acting in self-defense to defend his family. It wasn't just a legal argument I made in court. I believe, based on the evidence, that's what actually happened. And I do believe, knowing David the way I do, that he will be haunted by what happened in this case. I believe that taking the life of another human being is going to weigh on his conscience for the rest of his life, even though he knows that he was acting to defend his family. David has paid a mighty price already. He's been separated from his young children for over eight years. He has not seen his son grow up, middle school, high school. He hasn't even seen his baby daughter, who was one years old at the time of the incident. He has been incarcerated in the L.A. County Jail for eight years. I think everyone knows what a nightmarish experience that must have been. I think we all have our feelings about the criminal justice system after these two trials. And it's, I, I think some of us feel that perhaps the verdicts weren't completely fair that they should have been completely not guilty, and that, in fact, some of the jurors refused to follow the law because of their feelings about law enforcement. I know that might come as a surprise to some people in this courtroom, but I think that's what actually happened. This is a very sad and tragic case. I didn't know Officer Diamond, obviously. In some way, I feel like I got to know him during this trial, and I feel the weight of that. I'm a father and husband and son, and I... 
You know, I, I feel all of his family's pain, and I know that David does. There's no good outcome in this case, no matter what happened. If Mr. Martinez is sentenced to what the court has indicated, he will have been punished greatly, regardless of whether or not in some technical, legal sense he was not guilty. So I'm hoping the court follows the indicated sentence. Thank you. It was time for Judge Olmedo to make her ruling. The entire courtroom sat with bated breath, waiting for the legal conclusion to a tragic story that began with a fatal shot during a SWAT raid eight years before. Judge Olmedo surveyed the gallery. The uniformed Pomona police officers sat in silence. The Diamond family held hands. The Martinez family watched David at the council's table. And the members of the press were poised with pen and notepads in hand. Olmedo took a breath and delivered the sentence. All right, well, this is such a tragic case, something that both sides have acknowledged throughout the lengthy proceedings, and it is not an easy case, factually. A good man who was doing his job was killed in the line of duty. And Mr. Martinez, as you have admitted, you pulled the trigger on the shotgun and you killed him. Officer Diamond's death has left a gaping hole in his department, his community, and most importantly, his family. He did not deserve to die that early morning in October of 2014, and his life should not have ended then. With that said, two juries have listened to the facts of this case as presented by the people with two different presentations of the evidence. Evidence that will not change in future trials, and evidence that is not likely to get any better if we were to go forward with future trials. After listening to the evidence, both juries have acquitted you, Mr. Martinez, of murder of Sean Diamond. The first jury acquitted you of first-degree murder with special circumstance, and the second jury acquitted you of second-degree murder. But just as two juries did not believe you committed murder, they also did not believe you acted in justifiable self-defense when you pulled that trigger despite your testimony to the contrary. The second jury hung eight to four for guilty on the lesser-included offense of voluntary manslaughter, the most serious charge that remains for count one, and the second jury also hung 10 to 2 for not guilty on count 2, the assault with a firearm charge. You have pled no contest open to the court on the remaining counts, enhancements and aggravating factors, thereby admitting your guilt and responsibility for Officer Diamond's death. Accordingly, as mandated by statute and the rules of court, balancing the aggravating factors against the mitigating factors as mandated by law, the court must select the midterm as the appropriate term to apply here, for a total term of 10 years. Despite pleas from Diamond's family and friends, Judge Almeido had followed through on her indicated sentence of 10 years. She directed her attention at David and gave him her final words. Mr. Martinez, you were originally facing life without the possibility of parole, and not one, but two juries have spoken and given you your life back after acquitting you of murder altogether. You will serve your sentence and you will return to your family, a family that is devoted to you, loves you, and supports you. Do not betray their love and support again. Be the father, husband, brother, and son that they deserve because they deserve so much better than what you have given them thus far. As for Sean's family and friends, 
they will have to learn to live with the loss of Sean and the accompanying grief for the rest of their lives. For the rest of your life, know that you are responsible for that. After the hearing, Judge Olmedo quickly returned to her chambers. Sean Diamond's friends and family filed out of the courtroom into the fluorescent lit hallway, while the Martinez family said their goodbyes to David. Martinez had been convicted of voluntary manslaughter, a violent felony in California. As a result, he was required to serve at least 85% of his sentence, meaning eight and a half out of 10 years. At the time of his sentencing, David was several months shy of that requirement, so he was sent back to L.A. County Jail and later to North Kern State Prison to serve the remainder of his time. Outside the courthouse, camera crews for local news outlets awaited the attorneys. Brady Sullivan told the reporters that David took the plea bargain because, quote, it was the best outcome in a bad situation, end quote. Detective Lugo also addressed the cameras, His statements were covered in a segment on ABC Eyewitness News. Homicide Detective Ray Lugo took this case personally and spoke out at today's sentencing, raising questions about the jury for persons in both trials. When we have jurors have ulterior motives or lonely women who fall in love with the defendant, uh, we don't have much of a chance. He's referring to Janine Eiley, foreperson of Martinez's first trial. She's developed a relationship with the admitted killer. Lugo's allegations were based on jail phone calls between Janine Eiley and David Martinez, in which Janine told David that she loved him. We reached out to Janine regarding Lugo's statement. She responded, quote, There is nothing to the accusation. I do love David, as my friend and now family. I've been telling him that I'll be bridesmaid at his wedding and how his girlfriend has been there for him all these years and for him to treat her like a queen. All I am is someone who is fighting for justice and who has made good friends along the way. End quote. We also reached out to the second jury foreperson, Melissa Armstrong, regarding Lugo's oblique allegations that she had ulterior motives. In November of 2022, she told ABC Eyewitness News that she intended to write a screenplay about the people versus David Martinez in the future, but stated that she disclosed she was a screenwriter during jury selection. Armstrong declined our request for an interview. The day of David's sentencing, the LA Times and the Associated Press covered the story. Headlines read, Mongols biker who killed cop could be released in March, and motorcycle gang member gets 10 years for killing policeman. Additionally, the story filtered into the biker news circuit. And then, like most narratives in the 24-hour news cycle, the story went away for everyone except the people involved in it. A few weeks after the sentencing hearing, we spoke to David's defense attorney, Brady Sullivan. By that time, he and his second chair, Barbara Martin, had cleared out his workspace at the criminal courts. His case files no longer littered the counsel's table. They were organized in binders on a bookshelf in his spare bedroom. Despite the fact that Sullivan spent much of the past four years contemplating the People versus David Martinez, he was still eager to discuss the case, his relationship with David, and the emotional sentencing hearing. During the sentencing hearing, you said you thought the case had reached a just outcome. Do you really believe that? Well, actually, I don't believe that. Um, You have to 
kind of consider the circumstances here. So what happened at the sentencing hearing was that the judge had indicated she was going to impose 10 years. And then she hears all of this victim impact evidence and Lugo, the detective, begging her not to, to impose more than 10 years. So my objective at that point was basically to kind of placate her and to placate them to some extent. So I just reiterated that this was a tragedy and that David felt remorse for it as a tragedy and that they might take comfort that this was kind of a just outcome of the case. Now, do I really believe that? No, I don't think it was a just outcome at all. I don't think David should have been convicted of anything. He was essentially coerced into making a plea by virtue of the fact that he was now in custody after eight and a half years and two not guilty verdicts. He was still in custody looking at the prospects of a third trial. You know, so a huge risk. So essentially, I don't think it was a just outcome. I think the prosecution should have dismissed the case, especially after the second trial. Or he should have been released from custody before there was a third trial. Brady continued to reflect on the case, specifically the factors that he believed contributed to the tragic death of Officer Sean Diamond. I think the true responsibility for the death of Sean Diamond lies with the police agencies and officers involved in obtaining and executing the search warrant because their actions and their decisions set in motion a chain of events that created an unnecessary danger to both David's family and the police officers. They obtained a search warrant that was completely unjustified and completely lacking in probable cause. They had a plan to force entry into the home if they didn't have compliance, rather than just surrounding and calling out the residents. Surround and call out would involve essentially surrounding the house with police officers and using some mechanism to call out the residents before executing the search of the housing. And it's interesting to note that during the second trial, Officer Martinez, Jaime Martinez, when he testified, he offered up the information that the Pomona SWAT team no longer conducts these forced entry nighttime raids because they're so dangerous to the occupants and the officers themselves. So in my estimation, the break-in was completely unnecessary. But the execution of the search warrant was also deeply flawed. First of all, in terms of the scouting of the residents, they completely failed to obtain important information about where David was sleeping in the house, which bedroom. They failed to obtain any information that there were dogs inside the house and they failed to obtain any information about the locking mechanism on the gate in the driveway. And then when they went to the location, the leader of the Pomona SWAT team ordered the officers to breach the gate with metal tools that created so much noise, it essentially drowned out the voices outside that were making the announcements. And then of course, he only waited a few seconds before he ordered the SWAT team to breach the front door. And as a result, you have a situation at four o'clock in the morning, in the dark, in the middle of the night, where police officers are breaking in through the front door of this family home and appear to be unknown intruders to residents in the back of the house who don't hear the announcements. So it was their decisions to order a forced entry and to carry it out in such a clumsy manner that essentially created the danger 
that resulted in the shooting. So after the first trial, Los Angeles elected a new district attorney, George Gascon, who came to office with a famously progressive policy agenda. Did that have any impact on this case? So I thought after the first trial, given the verdict, 9 to 3 for not guilty on secondary murder, and what, in my opinion, was overwhelming evidence that David fired a weapon in self-defense, that the prosecution would, at the very least, if not dismiss the case, have a plea bargain on voluntary manslaughter. And after Gascon came in, I thought, well, saner minds are going to prevail here and they'll make an offer. But I was mistaken (laughs) and surprised and disappointed because what happened was basically one of Gascon's chief lieutenants was willing to give me a hearing, you know, through a series of Zoom calls, you know, present my arguments. But eventually the DA's office said they were making no offer and they wanted a retrial. Why? I mean, I can only speculate about why. I mean, I think obviously part of it had to do with the fact that the victim was a police officer and, you know, the prosecutors just, you know, have a blind spot when it comes to shootings of a police officer, which is in this case was particularly true from beginning to end. We reached out to the DA's office to give them an opportunity to respond to Sullivan's statement, but we received no response. Just one more thing. If you could speak to Sean Diamond's friends and family directly, what would you say to them? Well, I tried to the extent possible during the course of my representation to indicate to them that this was a horrible tragedy and that, you know, I I felt their pain. But I am troubled by the fact that they still believe David deliberately shot Officer Diamond. I wish that they had more open-mindedly embraced the overwhelming evidence in this case that showed that David did this to defend his family and that he didn't know it was the police. So I'm sorry that they have to live with that hatred of David for the rest of their lives, but in some ways I'm not surprised because I think the prosecution abetted that throughout their prosecution of this case, the way they prosecuted it, their unwillingness to you know, offer a plea bargain in any way clearly signaled to the family that they believed that it was a deliberate shooting of a police officer, and I think that's why the family has embraced that. I wasn't able to speak to all of Sean Diamond's friends and family, but Joy Diamond told me that she still believes David Martinez murdered her son. I've been to the house where my son was murdered. It's a little tiny house, and I have to say that Sean had the loudest voice of anybody I ever heard. It's hard to believe the murderer didn't hear him. He ruined my life. He did. Not to mention Sean and his kids. As a Christian, um, I would sort of like to forgive him, but I, I can't. Joy told me that she's channeled her grief into helping people with similar experiences. She runs two groups on Facebook for mothers of police officers and mothers of murdered police officers. Joy says she understands the loneliness of loss that comes in the months and years after a tragedy. It's been hard. When your son is killed, everybody who was or wasn't there, they all disappeared. I'm there to help because I'm a survivor. What memories of Sean make you smile? It's a million things. Him backing up to me as soon as he could walk when I asked for a hug, he always backed up to me and he did that until the day he died. Joy says she remembers spending long days in the sun at Sean's swim meets. The mother-son dance, where they should have come in first, but they came in third because they didn't like the last song that played. 
and their last Christmas together as a family when they went to Benihana. She showed me pictures of Sean as a kid on his baseball team, on his wedding day, and on vacation in New York. She read me letters sent by classmates and fellow police officers after Sean's death. I can't take credit for a lot of who Sean was. He came that way. He was a gift from God. Joy explained that the hardest part about her son's death has been the small everyday moments without him, the absence of his smile and his voice. Sean was such an integral part of my life, you know, because he talked to me, he talked to me all the time. He called me on his lunch hour at 2 a.m. And um, I haven't stopped waking up at 2 a.m. waiting for that phone call to when they were coming. I watched his funeral again last night, so I was up very, very late and had a really good cry. I was talking to God and I said, you know, I, I, I have stopped asking why for Sean because there is no answer. There aren't any answers. In the beginning, I said we were going to try to answer the why of this case. Why did an officer die in the line of duty? Why did this SWAT raid happen at all? It's been eight years since David Martinez shot Officer Sean Diamond. And some people have stopped asking why. But not everyone. In June of 2021, David Martinez sent me a letter. In it, one particular passage stuck out. David wrote, quote, There has not been one day or night that I don't ask why. I reflect constantly over and over, hurt by the fact that I can't change what happened, but comforted within my heart because of the truth. End quote. On June 13, 2023, David was released from North Kern State Prison on parole. Brady Sullivan and David's son, David Jr., picked him up and took him home. Hours after his release, David Martinez sent us the following statement. Quote, I am beyond thrilled to announce that after eight and a half years of incarceration, I am now a free man. I have reunited with my family and look forward to rebuilding my life with the people that I love. End quote. I'm Molly Miller, and this is Night Raid. Night Raid is a production of Crime Story Media in partnership with E1 Entertainment. Our executive producer is Carrie Antholis. I'm Molly Miller, the host, producer, and writer of this episode. Associate producers are Brittany Bookbinder, Lexi Notabartolo, and Aaron Koronek. Audio editing by Chris Terracone. Rick Schnapp did our mix with additional audio editing by Tyler Newhouse. Music and sound design by Eldad Guetta, with Foley assistance by Elia Guetta and scoring assistance by Nikki Hemmingson. Additional music by Half Gringa. Tonancina Sparza is our casting director. Voice actors in this episode were Elena Zazanis, Eli Ramirez, Alex Alfaro, Umberto Guizar, Michael Stock, Carrie Antholis, and David Kelsey. Our title track is Alimony by Half Gringa. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Night Raid. Thanks for listening.